Hey, hey, welcome to the very first Better Place Project episode of 2021. Make the world a better place. 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 Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year, Aaron. How you doing? Happy New Year. I'm great. How are you? I am so stoked to have 2020 in the rearview mirror, and I'm really jazzed for us to be starting off our year with this podcast with another edition of our global storytelling series. So what does that mean? For our new listeners out there, we are a interview style podcast. We have a guest on, we talk to them, just have a conversation with them, very informal, no script or what have you. That is our typical podcast format. But when you decide to interview people from every corner of the world, you quickly realize that you're going to come across technical issues or language barrier issues that make it difficult to do it in a standard interview format. Hence, we launched our global storytelling series for these types of cases where the format is more of a, well, storytelling format, where, of course, the guest is still the focus of the episode, and today's episode is one of those cases. So, we are coming off, we ended the last two episodes of last year uh, kind of on an international run. A couple of weeks ago, we had Clinton Kanu from Nigeria. Last week, we had Ibu Robin Lim from Indonesia. And today, we're off to Germany. So we're excited. But before we jump into that craziness, we're in the new year. So I hate to put the pressure on you, Aaron, but have you made any New Year's resolutions for the new year? I am still kind of working on that. It's funny. Normally, my New Year's resolutions are about like fun plans that I want to do. Like I want to travel more. I want to plan more, you know, more fun things to do, little adventures. And And we all want (laughs) to travel because none of us have traveled for almost a year. So, (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah. But so this year I'm trying to just focus on, I guess, making, making resolutions to better myself. I think this can be the year for self-improvement and self-growth. And 2020, I feel like, was kind of like that as well. Um, But for 2021, uh, one thing that I want to do is just become a little bit more organized with my living space, but then also with my plans and scheduling and all of that. Um, I think there was someone that said, what's the quote? Like a a cluttered desk is a sign of a cluttered mind. Cluttered mind, yeah. And absolutely. I'm positive I have a cluttered mind. So I'm going to try to declutter. And I also just want to live more of a minimalist lifestyle. Mm-hmm. I think that would be really good for me. Just getting rid of junk and random stuff that I don't need. I Now I'm at the point in my life where I want less clothes, less random things around my room. I just want to clear out the space and have less. I think that's an awesome, awesome resolution. In fact, when I was in my mid-20s, about your age, I was doing sales for a company and I would have clutter all over my desk and post-it notes on my desk, on my monitor, on my keyboard, little reminders. And there'd be hundreds of them everywhere. And 
the clutter was just having a negative impact on my ability to perform, to keep organized and all of those things. And I went to a Franklin, oh my gosh, I'm giving them a free, today's promotion is to, you know, Franklin time management, but uh, yeah, no, they're not a paid sponsor, but uh, you just made me think of them because it literally changed my life. I took like a day course on time management and started using a day planner and started putting everything in one place, my calendar, and I eliminated post-it notes. I eliminated eliminated clutter on my desk, and it made a huge difference in my life. So, mm-hmm. yeah, huge. I think that's an awesome one. Uh, yeah. And, and, and since then, I went from being a having clutter everywhere and even in my personal life at home, stuff all over the coffee table, stuff all over – you know, at a kitchen table. And now all these years later, now that I'm in my mid thirties, oh sure. Um, all these, all <laughs> these years later, I literally cannot even sit down to watch a movie. For example, if there's clutter in front of me, like on the coffee table in front of me, if I see junk all over the place, I can't enjoy the movie because right in front of me is all this clutter. So <laughs> even before I put on a movie, I've got to, you know, get stuff off the coffee table, organize the magazines, put the remotes in a nice clean order. I'm sounding a little OCD, but it's it works good, for me. Yeah. So yeah, it's a good habit to have. Definitely. I totally agree. And it's amazing how little we need to live. For some reason, I'm always believing Seriously. that I need more things, that mm-hmm. I need to buy things that just really aren't important. But you see the people on TV that live in the tiny homes and have very little in their lives, and we really don't need very much. So that's my goal for 2021. And you're right. Yeah, we all have way too much clutter in our lives, and we don't need it. All we need is love from our family and friends and a simpler life. Although there's still a few, you know, vices, I still like to have some nice wine and maybe yeah. a little nice scotch. My buddy David is teaching me all about scots. I'm pretty knowledgeable about wines, but I'm still learning about scotch, and um, I'm really enjoying that. He's mm-hmm. he's a uh, he's a uh, pretty much an expert on it, so I'm learning a lot about uh, that. So scotches and wines, I'll still keep on hand. So. Okay, you'll have to teach me a thing or two about scotch. Yes, I'm really have a tasting sometime. Yeah, David and I had a tasting last week where we uh, tasted, I think, eight different scotches. We made sure that we had no wine with, <laughs> with uh, we, dinner. We grabbed a dinner first. Yeah, we tried eight different scotches, and it was so much fun because what you think you might love, because you've had it before and you loved it when you had it, when you put it side, be, side by side, another scotch that you don't remember liking as much, Kind of like wine, you you surprise yourself at what you think you liked and what you think you didn't like. So anyway, mm-hmm. it was a blast. That's fun. Okay, well, a couple of my resolutions for the podcast. I definitely want to stop saying so many ums and you know and and. So sorry, you listeners out there, we're still finding our way. If I drive you crazy <laughs> with some of my uh, and um 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 um, so that's one of my resolutions to improve for on myself that. as well. Yes, we both are, are trying to work on that. Uh, we also, and here, what do I do? I say, um, immediately after that, I just said, um, so sorry about that. And another one, my sister had pointed out in our first few episodes. So I want to apologize if this offended anyone, but, uh, apparently, uh, well, obviously we do. Cause I went back and listened and my sister's right. We say you guys an awful lot. And like, hey, you guys are going to love this, and uh, and and we need to be. And, and my sister sister had pointed out that that might be offensive to some people that maybe women don't want to refer to as quote unquote guys, or if you're a transgender or 
bottom line is we want to be considerate of everyone. And here in California, everybody kind of still says that. I don't know. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's leaning towards not being politically correct anymore. So you listeners, send us an email and let us know your thoughts. Should we not be saying, hey, you guys, how you doing? If it's a group of, you know, if you're referring to a group of males and females. Uh, so I'm mm-hmm. curious about that topic. What are your thoughts on that? That is all I ever call people, I feel like. I, yeah. Everyone's guys. I know, guys. we both do it a lot. Well, yeah, here in California, my... it's it's just really common. You walk into an office with males and females, hey, how you guys doing? But but is that sexist? So I really want to know, and I want to change and improve and stop it if we really shouldn't be saying that, and if people are genuinely offended by that. Yeah, of course, I am understanding of how other people feel about that. But um, yeah, just in our lifestyle growing up and in California, everyone is, hey, guys, and I don't really know what else I would call people because girls are guys and um, and guys are guys, I guess, um, in conversation and when I'm referring to my friends and whatnot. But also in California, everyone is dude. If you are a yeah. girl, Male if you are a guy, exactly. it's... You're you're dude. You got it, dude. You know, that's just but now, how we see, talk. It wasn't it wasn't twenty years ago in California. It was only a guy was a dude. And I remember mm-hmm. when you kids were little is when I would start hearing like uh you know, kids in their teens and twenties saying, Dude, what are you doing to a girl? I'm like, Why are they calling that you know? And now over the last twenty years it's it's common, you mm-hmm. know. So you're right. <laughs> My how times have changed. But another resolution that I have that's more in my personal life is that I really want to try to each and every day practice what we're preaching on this podcast and each and every day try to do one little thing that's helping to make the world a better place. And it could be something simple, giving someone a compliment, telling somebody you care about them, thanking them for being in your life. And so I have gone days, especially in this pandemic where we're not seen many people where we're not out and about where I haven't done that. And we are all still so connected that we can still be reaching out to people we care about and we can still be doing little things to help the world, make the world a better place. So I want to do a better job of uh, practice practicing what we preach here on this podcast. I love that. And I am going to try to do the same thing. I love that resolution. And um, maybe us talking about the small little things that we do to um, try to spread joy in this time, maybe that can have a ripple effect on other people, people listening. And maybe listeners, if you want to join in and join in on this resolution with us, you can send us an email about little things that you've done to help other people. And we can share your story on this podcast too. Ooh, that's a great idea. Let's call it the Better Place Project Challenge. We challenge everybody out there to try to do something each and every day. And yes, send us your ideas. Speaking of ideas, I want to throw an idea that just uh, that, that came out from a one of our listeners. And I love this idea. And it's too late for us to do it for this first episode because we had already recorded this episode. But she had said, after listening to our Christmas uh, episode that we did a few weeks back, our holiday episode, by the way, if you guys haven't listened to that, and I say you guys, if you folks have not listened to that, uh, uh, go back and listen to it because we had so much fun. But after listening to that, Laura Bueller from Illinois sent us a note saying, why not have every guest throughout the entire year 
tell you a little holiday story about their family or a tradition in their life. And we don't even have to record it and publish it during the podcast, but we can do it like off the air, so to speak. And we log that. And then in our Christmas episode at the end of the year, we can play little clips from all of our guests with uh, with their holiday traditions. And just an example of getting great ideas from our listeners. So please do that. Our email address is betterplaceprojectpodcast at gmail.com. So thank you for that fantastic idea, Laura. We like it so much. We're going to do it. So... Moving right along to our podcast today, as we mentioned, we are off to Germany today. Erin, tell us about this episode's extraordinary guest. Irmela Menzestrom is a 75-year-old activist who set out to erase symbols of hate in the world. Often referred to as Graffiti Grandma, she spent the last three decades removing and covering up Nazi imagery and racist graffiti in Berlin, Germany. She was featured in the 2017 documentary, The Hate Destroyer, and has received several awards. Irmela's removed 88,300 neo-Nazi stickers since 2007 and continues to fight against racism and discrimination. All right, yes, Irmela was another one of those guests that I had tried for not weeks but months to get in contact with. I had seen her videos and just and I saw the documentary on her by the Italian director and I just decided I had to get this woman on the show. Erin, you might remember I sent her some information and you're like, yes, yes, we got to get yeah. her, we got to get her. And so I finally reached out to, and I knew she was in Berlin, and I remembered, well, I need to reach out to Petra. One of my good friends lives right there in Berlin. So uh, I called Petra, and she said, oh my gosh, yes, let me help you guys. Let me try to help you track her down. And boy, did she ever. Um, she was on a mission. She was sending emails, was making phone calls to art exhibits where uh, Irmela was performing. And finally, she tracked her down and said, hey, I've got this crazy American guy who runs a podcast with his daughter trying to speak with you and get you on the show. And strangely enough, uh, Irmela agreed to do it. So, wow, that was only the beginning of it. Then we had to arrange to get the whole uh, the phone call done via Zoom. So Petra drove an hour to Irmela's place and took her laptop. Uh, she had to translate everything and dictate everything from German to English. It's her voice you're going to hear throughout this uh, broadcast as well. She did all the German translations. So uh, this episode could not have happened at all were it not for Petra Nickel. Thank you so much, Petra, for everything that you've done. Um, in fact, there was one moment that was hilarious that that Irmela got Petra laughing so hard in German that Petra couldn't spit out in English what the heck she was saying. And we were all laughing, but Aaron and I didn't know why uh, why they were laughing. So we decided to leave that in. So we're going to throw a blooper for you guys later on in the broadcast of that. Yeah, Irmela was so fun to talk to. She is mm -hmm. the epitome of cool. I want to be her when I grow up. Seriously, when you see some of the videos online of her, of these mean Nazi guys, you know, holding swastika banners and, and yelling at her, and she's flipping them the bird, this 75-year-old woman just <laughs> flipping them the bird, and they don't even know what to make of her. It's hilarious. How can you not love this woman that is on a mission to erase hate? She's spray painting over swastikas, these expressions that are like hate speech. She changes the 
few little words here to turn him into expressions of love. I mean, how can you not love this woman? <laughs> and yes, she is the epitome of what we're trying to shine a light on here. And that is people that are making the world a better place. So with that, we are so honored to introduce you to Irmala Mensa Shram. Make the world a better place. 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 Guten Abend, Irmela. Guten Abend, Stefan. Good evening. We started off our conversation with Irmela, asking about her childhood, her family, and growing up in post-war Germany. My children time after the war. My childhood took place right after the war, after 1945, with all the problems. I was born in Stuttgart, not Berlin. I was sick many, many times as a toddler. I had a lot of infections. And what I remember until today, I still have the pictures of these bomb craters in the forest in my head. These deep, deep holes. The whole forest was littered with bomb holes. My father was in Stalingrad and was shot in the head. Therefore, he was taken to the military hospital and was then no longer at war. Thank God. My father was an artist through and through and came from a family of actors. He played at the State Theatre Stuttgart, while his brother played with Hildegard Knief in Berlin. He was also a painter and he has written poems against the war. He became a convinced anti-fascist and distributed leaflets for the VVM already in the 1950s. Uh, VVN is the association of those persecuted by the Nazi regime. My mother spoke about the war very often, but in more general terms, and she never spoke of the crimes being committed by the Nazis. She never spoke about the persecution of the Jews. And when I found out about it later, I asked myself, why didn't she tell me about it? So this was something I had missed. And my parents had absolutely nothing to do with the Nazi ideology. Thank God they had nothing to do with Nazis. But my teachers, they were Nazis. So we asked Irmela to elaborate a little more about the teachers and the views of those around her growing up. Were they openly promoting the idea of white supremacy? And what were the views regarding people of color and Jewish people? I found the whole behavior of the teachers so bad. But the worst experience I had was much later in the vocational school. That was because my sister wanted to marry. She wanted to marry a man from India. And they are still married almost 60 years now. And for me, he was like my brother. I never had any problems with that at all. To get someone with dark skin color into the family felt natural for me. And as I was supposed to become the church witness, I had to request a leave for this so that I could get time off outside the vacations. So shortly afterwards, the head of the boarding school, 
I was at a home economics boarding school, approached me. She took me out of my room late in the evening. It was after 10 p.m. And she said, I have to talk to you. And I thought, what, what have I done now? And then she said, you must prevent your sister from marrying the dark-skinned man. No foreign blood must pass through your veins. And I got such a shock. It was the first time in such severity. And I said, he's like my brother to me. I don't do that. I'm happy that both are getting married. And after that, I had a completely different impression of this woman. We always had to knit the same jacket in the evening. And she introduced us to a book by a Nazi writer about what the evil Polish people had done to the poor Germans. And she read this to us while we were knitting. That was in 1962. In 1962, Ermela would have been about 17 or 18. We asked her if she was still in Stuttgart at the time, and we learned a little bit more about how she abandoned her first career choice and why. No, no, no. I was still in southern Germany at that time. I moved to Berlin in 1969. I just wanted to get out of that dump. Before I went to Berlin, I worked in a district hospital as a nurse in the pediatric surgery ward. I was still playing with the idea of becoming a pediatric nurse, but then I realized that I could not bear dying children. And then I also had the impression that I was more interested in pedagogy. I applied and could choose from various positions. This doesn't happen anymore today. I also got an apprenticeship right away, and then I did one apprenticeship after another. I completed my training as a nursery teacher, this additional curative education training, in 1971 in Berlin. First, I worked in a home for people with behavioral problems. And yes, I also continue to be a teacher here in Berlin. But how did this teacher, who was simply going about her life, finding her way, suddenly end up being an activist who would devote decades of her life for her cause? It turns out it was the combination of her first visit to a concentration camp where she finally learned the truth about the horrors that had taken place during the war, as well as a chance encounter with one little sticker. What you also need to know is that I did sit blocks against Pershing 2 rockets. I was in the peace movement against the war. The key experience was right here in front at the bus stop. There I was on my way to work and there was a sticker. Freedom for Rudolf Hess. Rudolf Hess was in prison in Berlin Spandau. That was the trigger for my action. But I was sensitized. I had been in the concentration camps before. I was in Sachsenhausen and I was in Ravensbrück. And I got so sick in Sachsenhausen. I had such a severe migraine attack there. I just couldn't cope with that all. And I felt so much rage. I was so angry at everyone, including my parents, because they had never told me anything. Nobody had told me anything, and I had to find out so cruelly there. And then I had sworn to go there every year, in memory, but we all know 
remembrance alone is not enough. And at that time, which was also, also the beginning of the 80s, I had the confrontation with the Nazi sticker. This was in 1986. And then I thought, I can't change what has happened in the past, but I can do something about what is to come. And I'm now part of the first post-war generation and it is my task to take care of it. Upon returning to the bus stop that night, Ermela couldn't believe that the pro-Nazi Rudolf Hess sticker was still there. So she immediately scraped it off in disgust. And that's how it all started. So I have to be vigilant. I need to take on this task as the first post-war generation. Now, there are so many incidents like NSU, Halle, Hanau, and the more incidents happen, the more I need to be active to do something. That's a great urge for me. Quite honestly, I have already packed my bag here. The NSU that Ermela refers to is the Nationalist Socialist Underground. They were a small terrorist group that killed 10 people in Germany due to their ethnicity. They committed 15 robberies to finance their activities and were responsible for two bomb attacks. And that first sticker continued to haunt Ermela, and she quickly found herself on a mission to remove more. This first sticker sensitized me so much that I discovered all the others. And for a while, I really went every evening. As I was working, I usually started at 10 or 11 p.m. until 1 a.m. I walked around with my letter here on Wednesday and I took off the stickers and then the Nazis put them on top of the lanterns and then I took my two meter letter. And once I stood on the top of the ladder at 1 a.m., when I heard a man's voice from below and a policeman asked me, what are you doing up there? And I showed him the stickers that were all stuck on my sleeve and I replied, I'm just doing my civic duty. And the bad thing is, over here on the other side across the street in that house, there lived a Nazi, a very, very bad guy. He is still a Nazi and he is an instructor in the German armed forces. And I know that from his former comrade who lived here in the house, but he got out. Ermela has now gone from a little girl virtually oblivious to what really happened during World War II to a young woman discovering the truth and coming to the realization that there were and are still Nazis alive that believed in the hateful and bigoted views of the Nazi party. As we chatted further with Ermela, we asked her about the reaction she received from the local community. Did they support her? Was there a backlash? The feedback she received regarding the topic of freedom of speech surprised us. And the police were not always supportive of her cause. And for reference, Ermela mentions AFD, which is a right-wing nationalist party, the one that got voted into parliament four years ago. I raised this issue with the Green Party. I was a member of the Green Party and also with the peace movement, in which I was also very active. It also has to do with peace. I saw it as war on a small scale. And there I got an answer that I've never forgotten. Oh, Irmela, you cannot change the world on your own. After that, I was so angry that I withdrew both from the Green Party and actually from the peace movement, I threw myself completely into it. Yes, in the surroundings here in Wannsee, 
I also talked to policemen on the way and they told me democracy must be able to cope with that. It still makes me sick when I think about it. Then they told me and still tell me today that this is done under the basic right of freedom of speech. And then I prepared an answer because I couldn't stand it any longer. Freedom of speech ends where hatred and racism begin. And then I felt better already. I always throw this at people immediately. Then I also started to label my bags to express my attitude, for example with show face. I also noticed that black people can't take off their skin color. I mean, they should not, but in this way they are always confronted. And I don't have to hide myself and that's why I have now put my attitude on the bag. For example, against Nazis or protect democracy instead of dirtying it is what I have here. Or instead of AFD, Aryan stupid. Ermela obviously is a feisty woman with a mischievous sense of humor. But in that last exchange, she mentioned something about freedom of speech that really struck a chord with us. Freedom of speech ends where hatred and racism begin. In this next exchange, Ermela mentions the CDU. This is the Christian Democratic Union of Germany. Angela Merkel, the current Chancellor of Germany, was the leader of the CDU from 2000 to 2018. We asked Ermela about some of the fines she has received for defacing property or painting hearts over swastikas. Sometimes she would slightly change letters and or paint over certain words on hate speech signs, changing them from a call to hate to a call to love. I've been accused several times and I basically pay nothing. There is still a case pending from Nazis who denounced me with false accusations, members of the AFD. This is now the last thing that is still going on. Well, um, the first thing was Pegida's slogan at the demonstration in Dresden, Merkel must go. Pegida is this patriot movement really bad. I'm not a CDU supporter, but I always see the people first and I have respect for her in any case. You really have to have that. And I find that unacceptable. And behind Merkel must go, there was something else against the refugees. And I couldn't stand that anymore. And then I practiced on a piece of paper how I could change that. And then I came out with notice, hatred gone. I was accompanied by American journalists when I was caught by the police and sprayed over that slogan here in Seelendorf. Then I got a penalty order and I did not accept it. Then there was a court hearing and two journalists joined in. 
I was surprised and there was a huge echo in the media which reported as far away as Japan, USA, Brazil, China. And in the end I was sentenced to 1,800 euro and the prosecutor said that I would show no remorse, I was unreasonable and I had no role model function. And she was annoyed because I worked with the color pink. I had been given the pink spray color by a school principal where I had received the Göttingen Peace Prize for my action the day after. Then I had to call in a lawyer because of the appeal and the senior public prosecutor also went for an appeal because the general public prosecutor is an AFD member. Yes, so that's no wonder. And he wanted a much harsher punishment. They fooled around forever, it all took about a year and then I was sentenced on probation. During my probation I got another complaint about an activity in Bautzen, yet Bautzen dropped the case because the wall was smeared anyway. And what was very dramatic for me was Eisenach. I was there on December the 12th in 2018 when the whole street was full of graffiti, an S-zone and Nazi neighborhood. And I approached two policemen and asked them, that can't be true. And then they answered, yes, yes. I said, I have some paint with me. Is that okay? Yes, yes. And then I sprayed over it. And while I was doing that, a Nazi woman took a picture of me from behind. You can only see my back on the picture. She took it to the police and reported me and they found me in Berlin. So I was summoned to the state criminal investigation department. And I showed them all the photos I had taken there with the Nazi stuff. The officials thought I was crazy. It was really very, very delicate and it came to a court case at the district court in Eisenach. They wanted to stop the proceedings against the fine, but I said, no, I won't pay anything. And then I was sentenced to 1,050 euro. And the verdict against me was spoken at the same hour as the terrorist attack on Yom Kippur in Halle took place. However, I only found out an hour later at the train station in Eisenach, but that was such a shock for me, you can't even imagine. And then a lawyer from Dresden contacted me and wanted to defend me pro bono. They were all so outraged by the verdict and this lawyer then found mistakes in the written justification for the verdict in Eisenach. He stated this in our request for appeal. And after three quarters of a year, the higher regional court in Jena called my lawyer to ask if the proceedings could not better be discontinued because the case would have to come to the main hearing. They suspected a huge embarrassment. The charges were then also dropped and I actually did not want to discontinue the proceeding. I wanted to keep fighting. I finally wanted a clean acquittal. We had read that the mayor of Berlin had dropped the charges, but Ermela set us straight. No, that is not true. The governing mayor has only written me a letter with great praise for my efforts, 
The public prosecutor's office had told us that the Senator of Justice of Berlin can work towards having the proceedings dropped if there is no public interest. And the Senator of Justice, by the way, from the Green Party, refused. He said he would keep out of it. I was very upset about it, I have to say. Nobody in politics stood up for me. Nobody. That was with the Merkel story. The only thing that was done came from a school that had designed a graffiti. And there was a female student who had organized a campaign for me at change.org and over 40,000 people signed up. And I believe that this pressure was decisive to drop the charges. Over the years, Ermela has been honored with numerous prestigious awards, such as First Medal of Merit from Federal Republic of Germany, Gottingen Peace Prize for Civil Courage in Erfurt, and the Silvio Meyer Award. We asked her about these awards and what they meant to her. Also, bei den ersten Preisen habe ich gedacht, huch, oh. So with the first prizes, I thought, oh, that was really touching. This refers to the prizes where people really wanted to honor me, particularly to the Erich Kessner Prize awarded in Dresden in 2005 by the Press Club, so practically by colleagues, and to the Göttingen Peace Prize awarded in 2015. That was totally slam. A journalist had received the European Media Prize for a radio broadcast with me, and he was to give the laudatory speech. But we didn't do the laudation like that. He interviewed me during the ceremony. I was supposed to bring my bag and he unpacked it on stage and asked me questions. He took my sharp scraper out of the backpack and showed it and the spray can. And the people, they were totally enthusiastic about it. Years later, I met a woman at another award ceremony. She told me that was the most beautiful award ceremony I have ever attended. It was really moving. I also received an award from a Muslim organization. They invited me to their meeting last year. There I was supposed to spray a big heart on the lettering foreigners out that they had prepared for me. And I said, I will do it because this hatred in the world must stop. I really shouted that into the auditorium. Now the hatred must end. But unfortunately, Irmela became weary of constantly being arrested and charged while simultaneously being awarded for that very behavior. In fact, she became so frustrated at some of the hypocrisy that she returned some of the awards as she could not keep them in good faith. I gave back the Federal Medal of Merit, which I had received in 1994. Right after that, the first criminal charges began. And what I need to say is that not every charge ended in a trial. That would be insane. But I really had enough of this criminalization. You can't reward me and criminalize me at the same time. In the year 2000, when the mood was really tilting here, and when Chancellor Schröder had called for an uprising of the decent, the federal president simultaneously awarded a former Waffen-SS member and MPD member of the District Parliament of Stade the Great Federal Cross of Merit. And that was the moment my fuses popped out. And I sat down at the typewriter and I wrote a letter to the federal president stating, my decency demands that I no longer keep the medal. 
And the second prize was awarded by the Berlin Senate and the state government of Brandenburg. It was the ribbon for courage and understanding. I returned this in 2010 when I was so depressed about how people dealt with my commitment and my exhibition. I couldn't stand it anymore. With this, I simply wanted to give an answer. So we asked Irmila, after dealing with all these frustrations, what keeps her going? Does she ever just want to quit after still dealing with not only hatred and threats, but also hypocrisy from her own government after all these years? I have absolutely no influence on this. On the one hand, I know that I cannot stop it, but I know also that I can make a difference with my actions. Just yesterday at the memorial in Steglitz, I was approached by a young man who said, we need people like you, you give us courage, we need more of you, just to stop others. Generally it's like Corona, you can't get rid of Corona now, but you can slow it down. And I think in what I do, I convince people. And you should see how the students at school react to my visit to my workshop. That's really crazy. When a child from the fifth grade raises his hand and I ask if he wants to ask something, and he says, no, he wants to tell me something. Mrs. Schramm, you're the best woman in the world. A boy, a boy from fifth grade. This naturally moves me very deeply. Or on May the 8th, 2005, of all days, a young man comes up to me who caused me a lot of stress as a Nazi, who threatened me, who attacked me, who sprayed in capital letters on the wall, Schramm, we are going to get you, that is, with covered death threats. And he comes up to me and says, Mrs. Schramm, I'm no longer involved, I'm out, I want nothing to do with them. And that brought tears to my eyes because I was speechless. One does not expect something like this. And then he said, oh no, that touched him as well. Then I congratulated him and I asked him, how did this change of mind happen? And then he said, yes, I've caused you a lot of stress, but you kept on going. Didn't let yourself be stopped and... That made me think. And then I say to my girlfriend, I have to meet this woman. I have to tell her that. And I hope he made it. But two Nazi dropouts who have already dropped out told me that I gave them strength. With one of them, I appeared in the movie The Hate Destroyer. But in spite of progress being made, little by little, disappointing setbacks still remind Armela of how far we have yet to go. I was in Roslau with two journalists from Spiegel magazine and there was a black dressed, masked Nazi following me. He did not only wear a mask covering his mouth and nose, but he was fully hooded and during the whole time he filmed and photographed me with a cell phone. In between he talked on the phone to his comrades. So it was really a form of threat of coming after me. And I kept telling him, man, fuck off. But he did not stop and continued to stay around me. And then I called the police and they finally came. And then the policeman says to me, how do you know that this is a Nazi? Was it written on his forehead? 
I find this outrageous. Yes, and something like this keeps happening to me again and again. If a Nazi follows me with his bicycle on the sidewalk, the police explains to me afterwards that he may ride where he wants to. Or when the police ask me, why do you feel threatened? And then I say, yes, they are annoyed that I take off their stickers. And then the policeman explains to me in front of the Nazis, who feel safe with him and also do not run away, they are allowed to glue the stickers. I mean, I think that's incredible. On May the 1st, 2020, right in front of a police station in Erfurt, I scraped off a lot of Nazi stickers, but really, really bad Nazi stickers with a glass fiber scraper. There were quite a few. Then a policeman came out and said, you are damaging other people's property. But that was only on the stem of the traffic sign. And then I say, no, I am taking off Nazi stickers. Then he replies, stop it immediately. And I responded, I'm known for not stopping until I am finished. And then after I finished, I went inside the police station and then I said, I want you to give me your badge number. He did not give it to me. He would actually have to do that up on demand. And then I turned the tables and then I said, let's do it this way. You may now file a criminal complaint against me for damage of property. And he did not do that either. Then I told him, well, then you're out of luck. And before I left, I photographed the coat of arms of his police station. But Ermela remains on a mission to keep going, rain or shine. One day in pouring rain in Berliner Köln, I took off 700 stickers and I count the stickers since the 3rd of January 2007 until today I have removed over 88,300 stickers. years old, Ermela was sought out by the German rock band Neu Finland for a music video, and we had read that it had been halted due to threats to the band. So we asked Ermela if it had been finished. No, no, they did not finish it, but they regretted it very much. The problem was that the one guy who was there, I think it was the sound man, was terrified. We were massively threatened by Nazis in Berlin-Lichtenberg, and I was in full action, was the scraping off. I don't even notice that then. And this one person noticed that we were being followed. He had panicky fear. And then we went to a Vietnamese restaurant to have some food. And there he said that he could no longer continue. And they were very sorry that it could not be finished. But the threats didn't stop an Italian filmmaker from making a documentary about her called The Hate Destroyer. The Hate Destroyer is an Italian film about me and my work, a documentary. An Italian filmmaker, Vincenzo Caruso, filmed me for the duration of almost eight years. 
in Helsinki, Finland, at a cultural festival where I was also present, in Ast, Italy, in Bad Nendorf, Berlin, and in the county Telto Fleming, Brandenburg. He also received an award at the film festival. The trailer is on the internet, but the whole movie is 52 minutes long. The filmmaker accompanied me. In reality, he has worked through his cruel childhood with mine. Partly it became very good, but unfortunately he cut out important things that annoyed me quite a bit. CNN has also reported about me. I was with CNN in Lichtenberg and I sprayed a heart over a graffiti with an S-zone or something like that or over a swastika. They took this photo of me, which we also used for the invitation card for the 25-year exhibition. That was a great team. They were just back in the TV car after I had sprayed the heart when we were passed by many police cars with blue light and sirens, and we laughed ourselves to death in the car. We really laughed our heads off. Evading the police in the name of fighting bigotry and replacing it with love is clearly good fun for the 75-year-old extraordinary soul that is Irmela Mensa-Schramm. But what can the rest of us ordinary folks do? We ended our chat by asking Irmela, what can we all be doing in our daily lives to help stamp out hatred around the world? It is very important to me that you always keep your eyes and ears open, that you can intervene immediately that you set an example to the people. And above all, I think this is very, very important, credibility, that you appear credible to your counterpart. So sometimes you get the impression that people talk just to please me and do not stand behind it. And this has been said to me over and over again, that this is how people feel about me. And look, when I was in Halle on October 9th, I was sitting next to a young girl, a student and a complete stranger. Because I was supposed to change seats so that she had room, because she had to get off earlier, I only said, I have to ride to the last station. I want to have a look if my heart is still there that I have sprayed. And then she asked, are you Mrs. Menzel Schramm? And I replied, yes. The girl got really excited. Yay! We talked about you at school and there she was quite happy. These young people, you know what I mean? Students completely unknown to me call me on the phone and say, please don't give up. And that's actually quite remarkable. And I can also tell you that I once kicked an old man out of the bus. Steve, your daughter will love this now. I get on the bus and I hear that a black boy is insulted by an old man. And he says things like, where are you from anyway? Go back to where you came from. Your parents aren't here either. I don't want you here. And so on. And then I told him, watch out. Either be quiet or get out. And I shouted, 
so loud that the bus driver stopped the bus in the middle of the track and opened the door. The old man gets up, hits his head and his lower dentures fall out. He then says that he doesn't want to ride any further with the boy, gets off and the door closes immediately and from the outside through the window he shows me the are you crazy sign by pointing to his head and I show him the middle finger and then it was all good. That is a love story. That's a love story. A love story indeed. Such a joy having Irmela on. And now, as promised, here's a blooper from the making of this episode, which gives you an idea of just how much fun we have bringing this podcast to you all each week. In this blooper, Petra has just heard Irmla tell the story you just heard of the elderly racist man who had just exhibited hatred towards a young black boy on a bus, only to deal with the wrath of Irmla, who screamed at him so loudly, putting him in his place, that the bus driver slammed on the brakes and the man hit his head, causing his dentures to fly out of his mouth. And he ran out of the bus in humiliation as Irmla flipped him the bird. Here Petra is trying so hard to translate for Aaron and me what Irmla had just told her. <laughs> you, you, you will love it, you will love it. Okay. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> You okay, Petra? We're dying to know what she said, Petra. You've been laughing. What is so funny? <laughs> <laughs> You're a trained professional interpreter. What did she say? Okay. The question. Okay, um, serious business. Okay, so the question. The question. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you'd like to make a donation to help support Irmala and what she's doing, you can go to our website at www.hassvernikdet.de. That is www.hass-vernikdet.de. And we'll place this link in the show notes of this episode. Special thanks to our guest, Irmala Mensa-Schramm and translator, Petra Nickel. Thanks to our producer, Noah Existe, and editor, Joe Tampoco. Our music was written and performed by Nadia Importate. Thank you so much for listening. If this podcast brightened your day in any way, please subscribe and leave us a comment. If you have a suggestion for a guest or simply have suggestions on how we can improve our show, please send us an email to betterplaceprojectpodcast at gmail.com. We wish you all a happy and healthy new year. Make the world a place. Make the world Make the world a better place Make the world